You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Thompson, and you're listening to Arn right here on Westwood One with the Hall of Famer, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the enforcer himself, Double A, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? Can you smell it? Try, try it real quick. Can you smell it? Is that the new year? 2020 gonna be a good year, my man. I'm looking forward to it, man. It was an interesting 2019 for all involved, but 2020 is right around the corner. And, uh, this is our last show this year. So, uh, we want to thank everybody for tuning in, hitting that subscribe button and checking us out every single Tuesday, right here on Westwood one. If you haven't already hit the subscribe button, tell a friend about the best new wrestling podcast around. It's the Arn show. Just search for Arn A R N anywhere you enjoy your podcast and there it shall be. We got tremendous feedback from our show last week, Arn. I read a lot of people say that it's not only the best podcast that you and I have done, but it's probably the best podcast I've been on in ages. People really loved hearing you retell the story of coming back to work in Atlanta after a stint in New York. What was the feedback you got? Same thing. A lot of stuff they didn't know that, you know, most people do not realize the politics and the shenanigans that go on behind the scenes and uh, lead you up to a certain place. They just know that you got there somewhere. Uh, but boy, there's a lot of in- involvement that no one ever sees. And I think that's the hook for a lot of people. That suspense of how did they get there? Well, and we're excited that we're here for another episode of behind the scenes insight from Arn Anderson himself this week, just like every other week, it's hashtag ask Arn anything. Uh, so if you've got a question for two weeks from now, it's easy. Just go ahead and, uh, fire it up on Twitter. Our show is at the Arn show. That's where you'll find us and have an opportunity to ask some questions. And man, we got hundreds. There's no way we can possibly get to them all this week, but we'll try to sort through them, find some new topics. Are you ready? Yeah, buddy. All right, let's go to mayhem. He says, can you comment on wrestlers court or do you have a story about a case? Does it still exist in 2019? I don't know that it still exists. Undertaker was the judge, jury, executioner. Uh, But that meant he was there on a daily basis. And it was a very real thing. If guys screwed up, backstage politics did something to uh, embarrass themselves, the company, the other guys, just stupid behavior, whatever that may be, um, disrespecting the other guys in the locker room. A lot of things could have fell under wrestler's court, and uh, but it was a very real deal. There was no one allowed in there from the office. It was just between the boys. I think Bradshaw was the, the defense attorney. My God, you know, again, let's go back. Can't you just find a building to jump off of? That's the guy you want defending you. <laughs> the most vicious cowboy that ever lived. Uh, so it might have been a little bit rigged going in. I think if you went into wrestler's court, you probably walked out of wrestler's court be, being convicted. I don't know that anybody ever walked, but it was a very real deal. And the consequences could be anything from – buying a couple of cases of beer for the boys at, for after the show for a week or carrying somebody's bags or the whole gambit. It could have been any number of repercussions. 
it's always fascinating to me that somehow the undertaker became the guy. If there was going to be a guy to take the undertaker spot to, to run wrestlers court, who would it be? Hmm. Wow. You know, he kind of stood alone in that position, right? There's nobody that has put in, I don't think the time, the effort, um, that has the stellar reputation that he has. I think if you're going to have a wrestler's court, you're going to have to still get the undertaker to preside. I don't think there's a second place where that goes. Uh, Jay Stovall writes in, what do you think about, uh, the NWA bringing back the television title? Of course, we're going to talk about the TV title next week here on the show. And, uh, they announced at their most recent pay-per-view that the TV title was coming back. Uh, what's Arn think of that? I think it's pretty cool. I think it's a great concept. I know that it now, as the fans look back at the television title, they have a different look about, you know, towards it because, you know, and I've said before, it was to me, it was not a secondary title. It was a world championship. And it meant that every week on television, I would have a top flight opponent. Most weeks I would have 15, 20 minutes on TV in a primetime slot against a primetime opponent and for a championship. And, uh, man, it gives you a chance to, you know, if, if you got something, it gives you a chance to go out there and show the world. And I think they figured that out with NWA. It, it fits perfectly for that setting, uh, being a studio setting like it is. And, and I think they're on something that a lot of people I know, when I go to different events and signings and things of that nature, a couple of questions they ask, you know, how's Ole doing? You know, I loved that world television championship, man. I used to enjoy that. So I think it's given a lot of fans something that they've missed. And I think the NWA is right on by doing it. Uh, DJ Nick writes in, who was the best amateur wrestler you were ever in the pro wrestling business with? Well, um, obviously the Steiner brothers, top shelf, Steve Williams, top shelf. I was never in the ring, but I was around Kurt Angle. And when you're Olympic champion, heavyweight, especially no disrespect to the other weight classes, but when you're a heavyweight Olympic champion, you're something special. And I would see Kurt do things out there, just dipping in for like a single leg or something. You knew that if he had the jets turned all the way up, and this was for Olympic gold medal, you ain't stopping that guy. He's going to do what he wants to do. Uh, you know, Shelton Benjamin, Charlie Haas, you know, a lot of great amateur guys, Dolph Ziegler, you know, these guys all have great backgrounds. They really do. The Steiner brothers were, were animals. Dr. Death, an animal. But I think when, you know, you know the record books are cracked open a thousand years from now when you go – who was the best amateur wrestler that ever graced our presence. You got to say Kurt angle. Yeah. I don't know how anybody can argue with that. Uh, Jordan writes in and he lists a, a whole lot of wrestlers here. He wants to get your arm, uh, arm thoughts on uh, all of these. I'm going to run you through a few of these. Uh, and, and some of these really stand out to me because I'm not sure how much, if any of their stuff you would have seen. what do you think of Chris Candido? Did you ever see any of his work? Very little. I, I saw a couple of tag matches with him and Dr. Tom. They made a very good team. But I didn't, for whatever reason, I just never was in front of a television when he was on or in a territory where he was working. So you're right. I didn't see very much of him. What about Jerry Lynn? He's also on the list and well-renowned as being one of the best, but I don't think you were in the same place as him very often. No, but I think he was a polished cruiserweight before cruiserweights were cool. Yeah. You know, that's, I thought he had brought a lot of skills and is a really super guy, you know, super employee, super coworker, just fun, you know, just a good guy to be around, very honest, you know, fun. Uh, 
I've got a chance to be around him at a couple of signings, and he's just a good dude. Uh, but I thought he was really, really good back, like I said, before it was the popular thing. A couple more modern names. Uh, what about Okada? Have you seen any of his stuff? Not really, but I'm a, I'm a bit of a fan of some of the Japanese style. They are so creative. Uh, I like the fact that they have to work their ass off to finally get their submission or their move or their hold or their strike. I like the psychology behind that. Not too much on the strong style stuff, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure his reputation speaks for itself. He's a really tremendous hand, tremendous uh, worker and over like Rover, I guess, over in, uh, in Japan. Let's talk about, uh, two more names and then we'll move on. Uh, flying Brian, uh, junior Brian Pillman, junior. Have you seen any of his stuff? I had a nice conversation with him at what I think the AEW event in Baltimore backstage and just expressed the respect that I had and the like I had for his dad. You know, we were friends and, uh, but I haven't seen him work as of yet. What about, uh, British Bulldog's son, Harry Smith? Love Harry. Harry and TJ Wilson made a hell of a team. Why don't you think they did more with them back in the day? We were still hung up on the size thing. And that's what's fascinating because Harry's not a little guy. Harry's a big dude. But they had him with TJ, and TJ is an awesome performer. But he would have been the one they would have said, too small. And then, you know, somebody thinking they knew something would have looked at Harry and went, well, his dad was a British Bulldog. He doesn't have that body like he does. It doesn't matter. He's not the British Bulldog. He's Harry. Right. And if you can find it, there's a match. Fit Finley worked a two-on-one handicap against those two guys, and they had some time, and it was phenomenal. If you can find that match, all three of those guys shined. And uh, don't remember the finish, don't remember any of that. I just remember that was one of the first times they got to go out there with a guy that wanted to feature them, and they tore the house down. Uh, They would be a phenomenal team today. And you know, Arn, we know that being on the road all the time as you were as an agent, and of course, when you were one of the boys making towns, man, the commitment to still living healthy is important. I mean, it's your job to look good, uh, and it's your job to, to feel good. I mean, your, your livelihood depends on it. So you were doing everything right for your health today, but if you're not planning for the what ifs of tomorrow, what's time you do? The problem is historically, and rather ironically, the health conscious have overpaid and subsidized those who are less health conscious. Now that's not a conspiracy. That's just how life insurance works. Introducing health IQ health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you on their life insurance. If you're a runner or a cyclist, maybe you're in a CrossFit or some other type of athlete, maybe you're vegan or vegetarian. You deserve to be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. And Health IQ can save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risks for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. And Health IQ is not just a lead generator. They take the customer through the entire process of applying, and the policy is underwritten by one of our top insurance partners. But this savings is exclusive to Health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get a special rate. Now, to see if you qualify, just go to healthiq.com forward slash ARN and take their proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending upon your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you could save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com slash ARN to let them know that we sent you and then start the process with the Health IQ quiz. There's no commitment, and you'll learn even more about potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to living healthy. One more time. That's healthiq.com forward slash Arn. I'm glad we're talking about Harry for a minute because Jordan has a follow-up question that I think really speaks to what you're talking about when you reference Davy boy, he writes, 
Do you think it's a hindrance to the boys trying to get over who are second generation stars when their names are changed to silly stuff like Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas more so their lineage is even sort of purposely ignored and it just seems odd. That is sort of interesting that in certain examples, like a Charlotte flair, they want to be out front about what their heritage is and that they're multi-generational, et cetera, et cetera. But with a Bo Dallas, with a Curtis Axel, it feels like it's less out front. Why do you think that is? I really wish I knew. When you got a dad like those two kids have, right. Mr. Per- Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, Mike Rotundo, hey, there's one of those amateur wrestlers that was phenomenal. I forgot to put him on the list. He definitely belongs on the list. Credible amateur at Syracuse. Two-sport athlete. How many guys played college football and wrestled in college? I bet that's a short list. You know, and Taylor, very good wrestler. You know, why wouldn't you just let those two guys be like everybody else that has a dad? Chavo Jr., Chavo Classic. You know, you go down the list to second generation, Ted DiBiase, senior, junior. Let them be who they are. These guys have tremendous lineages. It doesn't mean they have to be a byproduct of their dad or they have to be copying their dad's style, but at least let them have the launching pad of all the years that their dads have put in and been a credit to this business. It's ridiculous. Interesting question here about way back in the day. (laughs) Talent writes in, if Magnum TA hadn't went down, did he have the sting spot before it was stings? If not, was there ever anyone else in consideration for that spot besides Sting? I think Magnum would have went through the roof. He had it all. He, uh, good, solid performer. He was getting better every day. Looked incredible. Looked like a movie star. Had a good head on his shoulders. Worked his butt off. I think he was headed for super, super stardom before the tragedy happened. It's a shame that we'll never know what that was going to look like. Uh, Rich writes in, should the dangerous Alliance be inducted into the hall of fame as a group? Uh, we've talked about this group a lot on Eric's podcast and on Tony's podcast that perhaps it's the greatest, you know, sort of faction that. Nobody really talks about when you look at the talent who was on that squad. I mean, uh, of course, Larry Zabisco, but Medusa, arguably in that era, the greatest women's wrestler ever, Bobby Eaton, his resume speaks for itself, yourself, Rick Rude. We know what Steve Austin would become. And then one of the all time great managers, Paulie dangerously, it almost feels like if the horseman never existed. This could have been remembered as the greatest faction ever up to that point. Would you disagree? No, I would not. It's one of those things that that you go, hmm. I would say, just listing off all those names, if you took their individual bodies of work and separated them out, and then you looked at that group collectively, at their continued body of work, it would hard to be, you know, it would be hard to not even put them in like that top two or three factions of, of all time. Wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing that hurts it is for whatever reason, WCW booking was just what it was at the time. And it didn't have a long shelf life, but imagine if they really gave that group at a different era, some time, you know, like a DX, like an NWO. I mean, seemingly the run is what, six months and then we're done, but with a little bit of time, man, that's, that's unbelievable. I think you just hit it on the head. Be honest with you, Conrad, you just nailed it. There's also something to be said, you know, just because you had that collection of guys together and you go, Jesus Christ, what a lineup. Six months is not a long time. Right. And part of being in the hall of fame, I would suggest should be credible work rate over a long period of time, day in and day out, which puts you in a position to have, and I'm saying years, 
to truly be considered a Hall of Famer. You need to have performed under every circumstance imaginable, every adversity imaginable, and under every set of bad situations that you can put in front of them, they just overcome it. That's a Hall of Famer. It's uh, it's just fascinating to think about, especially with all these other alliances going in or, or uh, factions, rather. Let's talk about um, working as an agent. Jimmy Steven writes in, what was your typical work day as an agent? How many hours a week would you work? And were you expected to be on call 24-7 as Vince McMahon seemingly works 23 and a half hours a day? Well, it's a very full schedule, very full. Uh, At one of our previous episodes, I laid out what can be a five-day run. I can go back and recap that. You wake up Friday morning wherever you live. Let's just say you fly to the West Coast, five-and-a-half-hour flight, get off the plane, get a rental car. Usually you will go to the gym, end up getting to the building real early because you're going to go ahead and drive that night. Now that can be up to a 300-mile drive. You will arrive at the next town. You'll sleep till about noon. You'll wake up for an hour or two. You'll go to the gym, Go to the arena, you'll have your show. You could have another 300-mile drive. Now, that's not taking into account all the things that happen on the West Coast. Rock slides, wildfires, torrential rain, you name it. Car wreck, imagine that. On one of those interstates, you can be sitting there four to five hours. That'll bring you up to Sunday. You could have a 7 o'clock show on Sunday. You work that show, you could have another 300-mile drive. You need to get there because if you're on West Coast time, raw meeting is 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. doesn't matter what time you got in the night before. You do raw, you drive to SmackDown, however far that is, you do SmackDown, and then you jump on a red-eye flight, If there is one available, and you pray to God there is, you fly all the way across country back to the East Coast. Now, we we had a situation every year, one of the months, I want to say it might have been February, where we had three weeks of this back and forth. So you would get back home Wednesday, fly all night Tuesday, get there Wednesday, Die a horrible death, sleep all day Wednesday. You'd have one day off Thursday. Friday, you'd go all the way back to the West Coast. Repeat the same process. Now, we had three weeks in a row of that. Until you've jerked your body back and forth between that many time zones, you have no idea what it does to you. Most people will not believe that story, but it's absolutely accurate. They're not all like that. But there's a lot of them like that. And it's, uh, you've got to be clear headed. You've got to be thinking when you get there. You got to, you know, you can't be falling asleep on those trips at night. 300 miles is a long way to drive after you've had an all day, three hour raw and got to work out and did all those other things. So, very demanding. Those guys should be commended. They should get a one way ticket to heaven and a purple heart for the job they do. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, once you actually get to the building, you've told us how brutal the travel could be, but you get to the building as an agent and then you set up the show, uh, go out, make sure the ring is there. It's secured. Everybody's happy with the fact that it's stable, all those things. You go check in with your production people, make sure all the music has been rehearsed everything's good we got music we've got no issues with our sound any of those lighting issues any of that stuff the boys get there you line up the show any issues they may have you be there to help them with those and uh, then you sit down you watch the show you critique every match 
you have to fill out a report. Typing. There's that nasty word. On a computer. And you pretty much, as you're sitting there watching the show, you're having to type the high points of what you're seeing. And literally, it's a three-hour, if it's a three-hour event, it's a three-hour report because you can't type it till it happens. So you're sitting there at attention, which is the reason you need two agents there because if there's a question, can't get up in the middle of a match and go to the back help that talent because you'll miss a third of the match. It's impossible to report on something you didn't see. So it's a, it's very demanding. You finish your show, you send that report out to the number of people that need to receive it. Make sure it goes through. Now here's the funny part. Here's the tricky part. It's not funny when it's happened to you. There's a glitch in that system. Uh-oh which was told us in the very beginning, which has not been repaired in years. If the Wi-Fi blinks, if it goes on and off, that report green screens and disappears. You can't go back and find it or get it back. It's gone. So say you're on the last match, you have a Wi-Fi glitch, your three hours of typing never happened. That's a lot of fun. So what do you do? Do you sit there and retype it for those hours? Can't very well do that because they're cutting the Wi-Fi off in the arena. They're tearing down. You have to either go check in somewhere or make your drive. Now, make a 300-mile drive, and when you get there, have to redo that report because everybody waking up the next day needs to have it. Hypothetically, do you think Vince McMahon reads those reports every day of exactly what happened at all the house shows? Of course not. I mean, it's just, you know, most of the house show, I mean, I'm not saying that to be dismissive, but a lot of the house show formulas are the same, right? So on a loop by and large, it's pretty much the same thing ever. I mean, there will be some variations, but there's a lot that's just sort of rinse, lather, repeat, right? Correct. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, until you've had one of those erase on you, I mean, it's funny people sitting here listening to it, you know, and I'm sure people, you know, there will listen to this and go, oh, yeah, he's, he's embellishing it. I'm not embellishing anything. It is the worst waste of man hours that they have, that they bestow on the producers. It's and like you said, you know, each night the pros will change things within their match because they're pros. Some guys will go out and they will just try to get one match for three days and get it down to where they have it TV ready. Right. You know what I mean? It'll right. be pretty much the same stuff. But the fact is you've still got to send in your report, give whatever little changes that you notice that they tried to do so that they know back at the office, these guys are trying to change it up and, you know, trying to be creative and all those things. You want everybody to know that. So, it's a ton of work and it's just a, it's just a waste of time to have to do that three nights in a row. It really is. You mentioned, um, if anybody had, when you're talking about talent, when they get to the building and you go over everything with those guys, if anybody has an issue, you help them with that. What type of issue are we talking about? Typically somebody just trying, Hey, I need help with this finish or how do I transition from that spot to another or. Well, yeah, you know, maybe you get there, you have the first night, you know, you go out and maybe this first time working with a guy or a gal, does it feel good to the talent? They feel like their continuity's off. They feel like they're, you know, we don't have good chemistry together. Whatever the deal may be, somebody's being clumsy, somebody's being a pain in the ass in the ring. It could be any number of things. Um, hey, you know, we went on first tonight 
you know, that's fine, but I'm just wondering if there's a better match that served to go in the first spot. You know, and some of the more polished talent know that the most important spot of the evenings are the first first match of the night, the one going into intermission, and then your main event, main event. And the reason going into intermission, you want to send them to intermission happy where they'll go buy merchandise and be happy about the fact that they're buying merchandise. So you want to have a good, solid match with the good guys going over. And then you have your main event and whatever you're going to do. Um, so, I mean, there's a there's so many different aspects to a house show that just need to be covered that no one ever sees or hears about. And those are just some of them. Okay, Arn, let's, uh, let's talk about something fun. Remember the days when you were always ready to go. Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. This podcast is sponsored by blue chew. Blue chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. That's bluechew.com, you know, blue, like the color blue. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they can work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, blue chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. By the way, blue chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians. So you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're even cheaper than a pharmacy. But maybe best of all, no more awkwardness. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Just visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code ARN. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. The promo code is ARN, A-R-N, to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Interesting question here that I really like from Josh. He says, what's the one thing you tell performers that need to be consistent with inside the ring? Credibility. Believability. Um, let me know that. As a performer, you're comfortable, and in your mind at least, you belong. You should be in there under those circumstances with that opponent and that you deserve to be there. That way I'm going to stay invested. Always let me know you're still in the fight. I'm going to stay invested. And just make it a contest. Matthew writes in Would the four horsemen have worked just as well in the WWF with the way they were presented with jets, cars, etc. Would that have worked in New York as well as it did in Atlanta? I don't know why not. It is interesting though, because you know, there was, um, a, a very much more cartoonish presentation to the WWF in that era. And I do wonder if some of the. Uh, obviously the million dollar man thing, you know, the, the, uh, the wealth aspect, that's easy, but the women piece that Rick made such a big deal about, I don't know that that would have worked on WBF TV. Am I wrong? What bringing the women out on TV and doing all those shenanigans? Yeah. So just, you know, all at the Marriott tonight, room two thirty six. you know, we're going to kiss yeah. them all, make them all cry. You know, this typical flair stuff. I don't know that Vince would have went for that back then. Am I wrong? Uh, I don't think he would have went for the four horse for period. Cause it wasn't his it idea. Wasn't his creation. Yeah. And you know, and, and that was Rick doing, going off on his, those tangents with all that stuff. I mean, it's just a promo, right? You know, you know, nine times out of 10, we're moving on to the next town anyway. Yeah. That's the thing I think a lot of people miss is. I think uh, for whatever reason, and, and I know that sometimes even Rick himself had trouble blurring the lines, but, uh, it, it was, it's supposed to be entertainment. I mean, he's making out with mannequins on TV. Let's not overthink it. 
exactly. And and that's what it was. It was the girl thing was a Rick thing. Right. You know, once he got his spiel out of the way about, you know, he, to hear him tell it, you know, if he walked behind the curtain, there was 150 of them lined <laughs> up right there at the arena. Yeah. Now he joked that, uh, there was a limousine outside a mile long filled with women just dying for him to go woo. And then they'd come around to you and you'd say, okay, now I'm gonna kick your ass. And you just brought that edge of realism to the horseman. And it's the reason people are still talking about that faction all these years later. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's what made it work. You know, then you look at Tully and Tully is the traditional smart ass, right? You know, he is the, he's the quarterback who tells you that, you know, Hey man, you got to catch those. You know, he had heat with everybody and that's what made him special. And then you had Barry, you know, and you had Ole, you had those guys and, and Luger. Then they brought what they brought to the table. But Rick, his whole thing was money, women, cars, houses, watches. You know, he'll take off a $400 pair of shoes and throw one of them out in the audience. <laughs> Dude, that's a car payment. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So, but I mean, I don't think it would have ever been processed and used the right way with Vince. No, I do not. Um, and it was better off just probably the way it turned out. Yeah. You bring up a great point because, uh, whereas Flair was definitely trying to, uh, live like a rock star. You've always presented yourself as the everyman, and once upon a time, you were best of friends with Rick. How often did you find yourself saying, "God, dog, Rick, do you really need to spend this, or should you really be doing that?" Or did you learn fairly quickly that it doesn't matter what you say or do; he's going to do what he wants to do. Bleeding money <laughs> from every orifice. Every day of his life. Example, we would pull up to the Marriott there in Atlanta after the show. Here the guys would see us. They would come running because they knew Rick was was a mark. He would give a guy 20 bucks to move the car from the front curb to the first parking place that was 10 feet away. He would hand the guy a 20. I would take the 20 out of the guy's hand, hand him a five, go park the car myself and put the 20 back in Rick's pocket. Quit being ridiculous. Rick would bring, I've seen this, would fly to, let's just say Atlanta, first day of a loop, Go over to his room. We'd be getting ready to go to the gym or something. He would unzip his garment bag, have like five suits, any number of slacks and shirts that had been folded in half but were already dry cleaned, had just been dry cleaned. He would unzip the thing on the bag, look at him and go, oh, this is wrinkled. He would send it out to be dry cleaned again. That's a couple of hundred bucks. Yeah. That's insanity. What do I do? I unzip the bag. It's wrinkled. I hang it up in the bathroom, shut the door, cut on the shower, steam it. Good as gold. Nada, not a dime, not a nickel. That's the difference in Rick and I. Now, when you're making the kind of money that he's made for the length of time he's made it, couple of hundred bucks means absolutely nothing. A couple of hundred bucks in my house, a lot of money. So I may have came across like the blue collar working man because that's exactly who I was. I did not make the money to try to live like Ric Flair. I didn't have the uh, inkling to try to live like Ric Flair. I was cool just living like me and just paying cash. Let's talk about, uh, Gary Hart. Nit hopes writes in how good was Gary Hart. He's one of the first managers I remember watching. Gary was, a 
He was a member of that Gary Hart's army. Dick Slater, Bob Orton Jr., the two that inspired me to get in this business. That's what I will always remember about Gary Hart. Uh, he just, you know, he, he was one of those guys that that was really a heel's heel and could talk the talk the junk. He didn't get physical, and that put more heat on him. Um, but those guys were phenomenal, and I think he was very, very good with Muda. Um, I wasn't around Gary a lot either. He came before my time, but uh, he was part of that package that inspired me to want to be a wrestler. Okay, Orin, one last time out. We need to remind everybody that if they overdid it this past Christmas and maybe your credit card is trying to tap out on you, you need to go to savewithconrad.com. You see, tomorrow is New Year's, and that means a lot of us are going to start a New Year's resolution. Somewhere on that list is probably get out of debt and save money. Well, let's kill two birds with one stone. And how's this for starters? No house payments for two months. That's right. Your single biggest bill, you get to pocket all that cash for two months. That's really going to help you out. And how about this? We can get rid of all your credit card debt. Just like that. You don't need perfect credit to do this either. Even credit scores in the five hundreds will qualify. It's no cost, no obligation. In fact, if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. What are you waiting for? Find out how easy it is to get rid of your credit card debt and pay your house off faster. You heard me right. If you're in a 30 year loan, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much we have routinely helped our podcast listeners take their 30 year loans and pay them off in half the time. We're talking all the way down to just 15 years. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, I've looked at that before. I can't afford the payment. What if we got rid of all your credit card debt by doing this? You not only get a greater tax deduction because yes, the interest you pay on your mortgage is tax deductible. Whereas the outrageous interest you're paying on your credit card is not, you also get a cheaper rate. And by taking advantage of a better rate, it means it's a lower monthly payment. Ta-da. If I save you five or $600 a month on your credit cards, and yes, your mortgage payment goes up a little bit. You still come out cheaper each month and you get out of debt faster. Stop throwing your money away. Get out of debt faster. Keep more of your own money. Let us run the numbers and show you how easy it is at savewithconrad.com. We're licensed in more than 40 states, and it's just a couple of clicks. So what are you waiting for? Hurry to savewithconrad.com. And I'm a lesson number 65084, equal housing lender. A couple of rapid fire ones here. Stink Eye writes in, Owen Hart was known to try and crack up other wrestlers during a match. Any related stories to someone cracking you up during a match? Uh, the nasty boys were always fun. They were fun to be in the ring with. They were, of course, they would spend most of the match cussing each other. Um, Nobs, unless you've been around Nobs, he's the funniest guy on earth for about 45 seconds. And then you've had enough. Uh, And Sags, completely the other way. Reserved, always cussing Nobs. Just to give you an example, we're in Germany. It's myself and Bunkhouse Buck. We're the Nasty Boys as our opponents. They're already in the ring. We come to the ring, pop up on the apron. Fans are eating us alive. Well, I turn back around, and I'm giving them some guff. And when I turned around, Nobs is right there, hit me with a flipper right in the nose, exploded my nose, broke my nose. The match ain't even started. Now, the next five minutes is Sags cussing knobs out. We haven't even got a bell ring yet. That could be considered funny if you're not the guy with the broke nose. Um, Bunkhouse Buck was rolling. A lot of things like that would happen in the ring, um, but you tried to not go so far out of bounds that you take the audience out of what you're trying to present. Interesting question here that we've never really talked about before, but I can't wait to hear your take on Joe writes in who had the worst taste in music on road trips. I never even thought to ask that, but that's a great question. Oh God. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the rap 
stuff. <laughs> I could have guessed that. I've always been too old for that. That you know, my boys look at me and they go, "Dad, you're just too old." You know, this is the deal. Um, a lot of the guys liked uh, the country music. I wasn't a big fan of it then. I am more so now. It's funny. It's like as you get older, your taste buds change. Your you know your your music tastes change a little bit too. And it's a younger, hipper, cooler country music now. You know, than going back to George Jones and those guys. That no knocking those guys. They're legendary. But that was some shooting, howling, buddy. I'm telling you. I was a Motown guy, a Led Zeppelin guy, Journey guy, Motown, Gladys Knight, Smokey Robinson, Temptations, Four Tops, all that stuff. Al Wilson, loved it, loved it. And then I liked the Led Zeppelin. I could listen to that all night. Personal preference. Robert Noss writes in, if the WWE were to call you back to do a documentary or table for three, would you do it? Not interested. Joe writes in, what was the worst thing you ever ate while on tour in Japan? Gotta be Japan. Okay. Yeah. You got something on the top of your mind. That's not in Japan. What's the worst thing you ever ate on the road? You ain't shitting South Africa catering afternoon show a couple hours before the show walking through. Okay. Vegetables. I'm okay. There we'll get a little salad. That's okay. Get some of this beef here. This looks good. Okay. Go sit down, start on the beef. And this this got a wang to it. <laughs> Damn, maybe it's just, you know, my taste buds are messed up being over here, you know. Tried some more. God, maybe it's got a wang to it. Call the, the guy, the waiter over. Hey, hey, dude, man, this beef has got a wang to it. Is this stuff spoiled? Sir, that's 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 not beef. Okay. Then what is it? He's looking around like like I'm the nut. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's so that's ostrich. Okay. Hey Dick, you see these white boots? These are ostrich. This don't belong on the plate. Well, in about an hour, <clears throat> I'm the agent for the show. We get to the arena. And it starts, and it starts percolating. And I knew what it was, and for some reason, then it hit me. I didn't see anybody else getting any of that. I was the only goofball that got any. Well, buddy, it started spraying out of both ends. (laughs) The show started. I was still on the shitter. Um... I got up between the first and second match and went to the curtain. Now, I'd already had the show laid out. It was all kind of on autopilot, and I had a couple of the refs go, look, guys, this may end up really bad. Y'all are just going to have to take over making sure these these matches go on in order and all that stuff. You got to help me here. And, man, I went to the trainers, and I was shaking and shivering, and it was not cold I mean, this was like summertime. Larry Heck, the trainer, laid me down and laid a bunch of those thick blankets and stuff on top of me. And I laid there for the duration of the show, shivering and shaking and running to the bathroom for the whole show. Guess what we had to do after the show? Drive. No, no. Fly 13 hours. Even worse. To Atlanta. That was the last day of the loop. We had to fly. Buddy, you're talking about a case of the raw ass. That was a one of the worst experiences 
that a person probably lived through. Most people would have died, I think. Uh, had I not been so grouchy back in those days, I probably should have died. I just grouched my way through it. But God Almighty, horrible. Dan writes in, what's the best Christmas gift Arn ever received? Interesting question. Hmm. Wow. Come back to that one while you think. Rich writes in, what does Arn think of the unbelievable heat between Tony Schiavone and Dean Malenko? Haven't had a chance to find out what it's all about yet. Sounds pretty serious, though. It blew up on everything. So I'm going to get in front of them individually and get the real scoop here pretty soon. Uh, Hoop writes in, at what point did you know the pairing of Tully, Rick, Ole, JJ, and yourself was going to be billed as a faction and not just a few shots together? Two weeks in when we were doing the horseman symbol of excellence in the arenas, two weeks after the first promo aired and Jimmy Crockett came up to Tully afterwards and went, Hey, this is getting over. Tully looked at him and I believe him. Now this is the owner, the company should have been shown the utmost respect. Tully looked at him and went, no shit, which said it all. And the reason it got over is because it didn't come from the office. It was one of those rare things that just morphed. It just happened. And it was just, it just clicked and it clicked two weeks in, which is amazing. Let's talk about, um, after Ole. Jeremy Martin writes in, who do you consider the fourth horseman? So if Ole's out, is it Barry then, or is it somebody else in your mind? No, Barry was a perfect fit. He really was. Barry Wyndham was credible performer. Good looking guy, looked like a pro, big, could do it all. Uh, there's no rethinking that. Barry, that was his spot all along. It just took a minute to get him there. Interesting question too, coming in about, uh, Panama city. what do you think of WCW doing the shows in Panama city? Of course, this was a staple for nitro spring break question comes to us from Chris Arendt. He knows that this is uh really one of your favorite territories, but what did you think of the nitro presentation for spring break? Well, the Pensacola territory thing was a whole separate deal. Uh, you know, this was a, it was, you know, the one thing that I appreciated about the fact was it was so different. You know, we had a lot of young, good looking talent and it was fun for them. They had a blast. It was great for the people that were down there on vacation. I doubt, and I never asked, it's none of my business, but I doubt very much if it was a moneymaker. So I think it was a free show. Am I right about that? You should know from talking to Eric. Yeah, no, the live gate was not a profitable venture for them. At that point, it was just all about TV, right? (laughs) Yeah. I just having a fun show that it's fun to watch and it's different. And you know, that's all way different is good. I don't care in this business, in every aspect of the business, different is good. The same stuff week after week, repetitious. I don't care what it is, gets very, very old. And and it was an attempt to, to have a fun show, something that everyone would, you know, watch and because it was so different. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was a good idea. Very cool presentation. Rob writes in, who other than Brad Armstrong do you think had all the tools to be a superstar but somehow missed out? Hmm. Let's come back to that one. Everything pro wrestling. I love these holiday questions. What kind of cookie does the enforcer enjoy? No bake. Made by the missus. (laughs) 
she seems to get a plug every single show, but she's earned it. She deserves it. Now, she also makes a pretty mean peanut butter cookie with uh, one of them little chocolate kisses right in the middle. But the no-bake for me are the gimmick. No, I'm I'm with you on the peanut butter. I think peanut butter's the go-to. Um, late to the Nitro Party wants to know, who is your favorite referee to work with? And Lord knows you worked with a lot of good ones. Uh, Tommy Young, Charles Robinson, somebody else? Yeah, Charles is a great referee. He really is. Earl Hebner was a good referee. Um, Tommy Young, great referee. Nick Patrick, awesome referee. Um, those four kind of stand out, I think. Interesting question here about Vince McMahon. Jeff writes in during Arn's time in the WWF or even during 1989, did he ever see Vince at the hotel bar interacting with the boys? You know, we don't hear about that much anymore. It certainly feels like he's presented himself as more of a recluse, but back in the day you would hear about guys. You know, saying that he was not only in the bar carrying on, but he's holding court and allegedly even taking guys finishers, just horsing around. Did you ever see Vince McMahon in any of those settings? I never witnessed it. I heard the stories and I know they're all legitimate. You know, there was those rare occasions where he had come down to the bar and get tore up, you know, at the company hotel and, you know, he'd grab one of the guys or something and, uh, that end up flattening him and um, heard a couple of stories. I was never there to see it myself, but I know that it did occur. Let's keep it moving here. Uh, Crimson Mask wants to know what was Orange's go to meal on the road? Uh, you actually told me this last week, I think, off air, and uh, I was a little shocked. It involved Cracker Barrel. <sighs> If I'm going to try to eat healthy and we're eating during the day, Cracker Barrels is a good one. Uh, a lot of the guys like Outback. I'm more of a Longhorn guy. And I tell you the one that's really good that you can't find much anymore, Lone Star. You remember those? I do. Yeah, we've got one. You do? Yeah. Well, no Well, no wonder I can't find it. You got it hit out down there. Jesus. <laughs> Those are really good. Um, late night, you know, buddy, it's a tough selection. Most of the guys and even the ones, the body guys that eat healthy all the time because we, you know, they get their food sent to them and all that stuff. But when we get to Texas, there's one that's, uh, it's kind of a, uh, weakness for all the guys. And that would be drum roll. Whataburger. Oh my gosh. Seriously? Awesome. No. Dude, In and Out's way better. Shake Shack's way better. Why is Whataburger on the list? In and Out Burger's the biggest bunch of shit ever promoted. No, dude. There, there is no style. There's no substance. They all look alike. They're all just dumping in. They're overloaded lettuce. Come on. Whataburger, double Whataburger, no cheese. No cheese? No cheese. How have I just lost, I mean, I've like lost all respect for you here today. Just you're shitting on one of the great burgers of all time. And then you're saying no cheese. I don't even know you, Arn Anderson. I don't even know you. Nor will you ever know me. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to go to Whataburger. I'm out. Because a lack of cheese is therefore replaced with add bacon. <laughs> okay. You redeemed yourself. Did I reel you back in? Yeah, you did. Okay. I'm back in. Oh my gosh. Uh, Matthew Eubanks has an interesting story. He says, I remember seeing you in Albany for super brawl four and you were the first person to sign my cast. Any weird autographs that you've given over the years that you can share with us? You know, we hear about this all the time as fans that, you know, other fans would approach you and say, Hey, will you sign my insert random thing here? What's the weirdest thing you think you've signed over the years? Yeah, I got one of those. Um, we're at a signing somewhere 
And uh, just because, I mean, this goes back to the, you know, I am the blue collar guy. I am the normal guy. I am the guy that uh, pushes the basket at the grocery store. So we're at a signing somewhere and a guy walks up and he goes, um, I've got a picture of you. I'd really be honored if you would sign it. You know, well, that's why I'm here, bud. You know, God, yeah, I'd be honored. What do you got? <clears throat> and he pulls his tank top over to the side and he has a large picture of me tattooed on his chest. Oh. I I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle that. I never had that happen. And I'm looking and he went, man, it's my prized possession. And now it's creepy, majorly creepy to me. And I know I'm not the only one that thinks that. And he hands me a Sharpie and I go, you know, you can't, if I sign this, you can't ever wash that. You know, it'll just go away. Let me just sign a picture here for you. No, no, Mr. Anderson, I would, I've thought about this. I would really appreciate it if you would sign this. I'm not going to wash it. I'll make sure that it stays. I have, I have a process that will seal it and, and it won't go away. Well, I reneged. And I gave him a couple of pictures uh, to try to make up for it. But that's one of those things that don't happen to me, probably shouldn't happen to anybody, uh, that was stands out. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, that's not something I expected you to say. Um, Joe Lawson writes in, is it true that Doug Dillinger fell asleep at ringside at a house show once? Oh, it's possible more than once. Uh, who knows? I just thought there had to be a good story for him to pitch it like that. Yeah, I mean, I never saw it. You know, Doug had the, the world on his shoulders. He had no staff in the beginning. It was just him. One security guy to protect the back, the locker room, the round the ring area and all that. Now, as you know, once Eric came in and the ball started rolling and all that, he was able to hire a staff because things were, you know, getting out of hand some nights with the NWO and all that stuff, and guys were coming through the crowd and all that. But, you know, I think in the beginning, it was just Doug. Um, so I imagine if he had a chance to catch a cat nap, he probably did. Who knows? I can't verify or deny. Gregory Dickens writes in, is there a rule you would change in a standard wrestling match? Um, how about in a tag match, there was a standard number of saves that you could make. Oh, I see. So you got to be wise about when you break up the pin. Yeah. And if you go one over. It's a disqualification right there. So you have to be clever and wise on, is he going to kick out or am I going to need to save him here? Are we going to lose the match here or is he can able to kick out of that? Well, that a lot of strategy, I think, to tag matches. No, I like that. Uh, Athletic Geek writes in, can you tell us the details about what went into the parking lot attack on Dusty Roads? Were, they, were there any behind the scenes stories from that day? Are there any issues from local law enforcement, et cetera? No, there was no issues with the uh, law enforcement. We uh, pretty much, I think JJ got with Dusty early during the day. He told him what he wanted. He communicated that to us. Um, we had a time that we were to see Dusty roll by, and we were already in JJ's Cadillac. And with a camera in there that was held hostage. So we were making him shoot all of this inside the Cadillac so that that made sense. 
Um, and we were following Dusty down to the office and, um, pretty much, you know, it was kind of like in the old days where you didn't get together at a building and talk over a match. You didn't talk over this at the same setting. It was like, he talked to JJ that morning somewhere. JJ brought that information to us and, you know, we didn't need to walk through. Um, it went down like it was laid out and it was, one of those that will, t- you know, it will stand the test of time. It was really cool. People remember it. And uh, it was very unselfish on his part to do that for us. It put a lot of heat on us at that time. People did not like us at that point in time. All right, last one for the day. Uh, and this is something we've never really talked about before. James Oakley writes in, what did Arn think of scaffolding matches and was he ever in one? No chance. Fear of heights. I am not a uh, Spider-Man type performer. Um, it would be very dangerous to get me up on something like that. I can't hang there forever. Uh, it was not my cup of tea. And uh, a couple of guys got hurt pretty bad, Cornette being one of them. Glad I never considered it. It would. It was never even considered for me. I'm sure. Well, that's going to wrap it up this week. We appreciate you guys tuning in for hashtag Ask Arn Anything. Next week, it's all about the television title. If you've got a question for Arn, by all means, check us out on Twitter at the Arn Show. Ask your question there, and be sure to pick up a shirt over at ArnShirts.com. That's A R N S H I R T S. If you think we've earned it, leave us a five-star review and don't forget to hit the subscribe button and tell a friend about the best new wrestling podcast around every Tuesday, only here on Westwood one Arn with the enforcer, Arn Anderson. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.